You know, I am a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it isn't about who a white knight riding into DC like RFK Jr. presents himself as. I think he's controlled opposition. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if any kind of false flag they might pull. I hope you've asked all the candidates these questions. This uh, is a totalitarian uh, state right now. Uh, this is this is a gulag system that's been established at, at the uh, in our country. So I'm not saying Trump's a legitimate outsider, but they don't want. They're not afraid of Trump as much as they are his followers, and what the followers might do. Wow, you really put it out there. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that there's there are conspiracies. They do happen, and those two cases uh, are very suspicious. You're gonna have me uh, ruin me here. <laughs> and what we need is is decentralization, and that's why I'm in the race to present this argument for decentralization. Welcome to 24 for 24, an interview series where I ask presidential candidates 24 pressing questions regarding the 2024 election. Today, we are joined by Michael Rechtenwald, a libertarian presidential candidate. Rechtenwald is a PhD, former NYU professor, public speaker, columnist, entrepreneur, and author of a dozen books. Stay tuned and learn how he plans to wreck the regime. First question I want to start with, I'm a millennial. I think a lot of people listen to podcasts probably are too. Do you think that millennials are just complainers or is the wealth engine that boomers benefited from really gone? I don't think millennials are just complainers. I think that they have some real grievances that should be de dealt with. And the fact uh, that the current generation left them with uh, a federal government, $34 trillion in debt, and uh, that uh, the culture has been uh, degraded tremendously uh, because of the Federal Reserve and uh, their, uh, high, you know, their unfettered uh, production of money, which leaves uh, people with no incentive to save because money is devalued all the time. So uh, there's no question that the, the, the millennials were left a, a real nasty a uh, basket of uh, garbage that we need to uh, address. And uh, I don't think they're merely complainers. I think they have real grievances. Uh, next question is another kind of millennial-based question. Mm -hmm. For myself, friends, people I know, we get really tired of seeing Nepo babies succeed in pretty much every aspect in life. And you see that definitely in politics. Trump had his family all over the administration. Biden did. Would you pledge to like not hire any of your family or friends in your administration? Because normally nepotism isn't merit-based. You don't get the best people. <laughs> yeah, well, I have a very talented, uh, uh, I have three talented children, but they have no interest in working for, for me. And, I, and I'm not going to hire them. Uh, that's not really, first of all, I'm not going to be hiring them any people. I'm going to be getting rid of people. Uh, I'm going to get rid of departments. I'm going to get rid of the whole uh, intelligence uh, community, mostly, like the whole FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and you name it. It's just going to go. So it wouldn't be uh, about hiring people. It's going to be about firing people. Would that be like Vivak Ramaswamy talked before about laying off about half the government, just going off of their social security numbers? Would you do that or something more drastic? More drastic. I'm talking about whole departments gone, uh, whole agencies gone. 
Uh, it would be eradication of the security state, the intelligence apparatuses, um, the uh, board, you know, the the uh, Department of Higher of Education, uh, the uh, you know uh, the CDC, the whole regulatory regime, all of it. Okay, all the alphabet agencies. Okay, okay. Move on to the next question. I got a few on COVID. Do you support a constitutional amendment to prevent the government from mandating any vaccine under any circumstance? No, yes, I would never mandate anything that people would have to take, period. So I would support uh, any kind of uh, any kind of amendment that would uh, make that forbidden, that you could not mandate anything for anybody, whether they're government employees, that includes the military, et cetera. No mandated vaccines, no mandated drugs, et cetera. Okay, kind of answer the next question I was gonna ask, would you ever propose legislation to prohibit implementation of like mask mandates, COVID testing, but you kind of got that all in one watch. So let's get past that one. Would you abide by or cancel the international health regulation amendments adopted or trying to be adopted by the World Health Organization so we don't have to kind of submit to the global authority? Yeah, the WHO pandemic treaty would be, uh, I would make sure that that was not valid for the United States at all. And uh, so that anything the WHO tries to implement on us uh, through any kind of agreements with the WHO, first of all, I'd withdraw from the WHO uh, and the UN altogether. So uh, whatever they tried to mandate to us would not have any, uh, would not have any teeth move along to a couple economic questions. What is your position on central bank digital currencies? Are they dangerous? Why do you think they're dangerous? Or do you think they have some sort of benefit? I've written about this extensively in my recent most book, The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty. Uh, The CBDC represents the most, uh, it represents the closing of the totalitarian circle. It would be a complete control system whereby everything you spend, uh, whatever you buy, all this would be known to the, to the Fed and likewise uh, to the federal government. So it gives complete transparency over all of your money. Uh, I, I would depose it uh, and never let it come into being. Uh, it is the worst possibility. It really does uh, close the totalitarian circle entirely. Could you kind of expand a little bit on like on a day-to-day level, why people shouldn't want CBDCs? Like you yeah. say, close the totalitarian circle, like what would that mean on a day-to-day basis? It would mean that every transaction you make would be monitored, would be surveilled, uh, would be known, and they could preclude certain transactions altogether. Uh, so certain bo- certain sellers could be, could be limited from uh, selling things at all. Furthermore, they could use it to track your carbon footprint. Uh, could be used for carbon tra- uh, footprint footprint tracking, which means that the federal government will know how much carbon, supposed carbon emissions you have uh, participated in or, or or emitted over a certain period, and they could limit what you buy based on that. Gasoline, even meat. Uh, so the, all those things are uh, got to be, uh, all that is, is terrible. 
we want to get the state out of the economy, not make it further entrenched and in total control of the economy. Next question has to do with women in politics. This is called Ladies of Politics, after all. Mm -hmm. Pretty much seems like women reject libertarianism. Pew has done some surveys on this before. Men are about twice more likely than women to identify as libertarian. There was a huge gap between male and female voters for someone like Rand Paul, who was like the mainstream kind of libertarian candidate in 2016. But libertarianism kind of came from women. And Rand was a big influencer back in the day. What happened from like, kind of the founding mother, you might say, or mothers, because there's a few other women that helped get libertarian ideology going to now it's a bro fest, for lack of a better term. How do you think the parties failed to appeal to women? And how would you remedy that? Well, there's a couple factors there. Uh, without getting into like uh, psychographic or, you know, um, issues, which we could we could delve into somewhat. Uh there is there is some evidence that women are more prone to uh, support uh, welfare state the welfare state uh, and uh, to support like social programs uh, to be more in support of censorship over free speech because they feel that people's feelings shouldn't be hurt and stuff like that. So there's that. Uh, but there's also a cultural problem in the Libertarian Party. Uh, I think that uh, it needs to become uh, less of a bro-fest, less uh, of a dick-swinging contest, really, and more about uh, the issues and how libertarianism would benefit everybody, not just women, but everybody, including women and their children. Uh, and I think that once that is understood, that it, it promotes wealth production and that everybody uh, would, everybody's lives would improve economically because the, the government is the worst uh, custodian of the economy that there is. And whenever you produce more, whenever you uh, supply more money to things like social welfare, you get the problems you get more of the problems that you mean to address. Uh, so you get more people on welfare, you get more homelessness, you get more drug addiction, you get more of anything you throw money at. That's just an economic law. So once you, th once you stop doing that, then you don't produce that which you supposedly want to ameliorate, which is really what the whole Democratic Party's uh, platform is about. They're about ameliorating supposedly all of these problems like homelessness, like poverty, like drug addiction, like, like other things. And we can see what in fact their, their uh, policies lead to. All you have to do is look at democratic cities and see what a disaster they are. Democrat controlled cities, which is most of them, if not all. And you see that in fact, they increase the very issues, the problems that they mean to redress. But, I mean, there is a problem within the Libertarian Party. I think it needs to be more welcoming. It needs to be less, um, shall we say, androcentric in its, uh, in its approach and in its language. I think that's a problem. And I've been saying this for a while, that the way we attract women is not through uh, this kind of muscular uh, uh, 
you know, insult factory, really, that Libertarian Party can represent to some people. I think it's not welcoming enough to people. It's not showing people its compassion towards others. It's kind of like anytime somebody comes along, they're treated to insults and, and, and things like this. This, this. this can't be the way the Libertarian Party operates. Now, next question, I know pretty much now you're going to answer. It's about the war on drugs. What actions would you take to end the war on drugs and what drugs would you legalize? I can tell you're vaping, so I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're going to love marijuana. <laughs> I would legalize all, well, instead of talking about it in terms of legalization of drugs, I like to talk about it from the standpoint of the sovereignty of the individual, the individual adult to put into their bodies whatever they deem except, you know, whatever they deem necessary or uh, whatever they want to put in their bodies. That being said, I would uh, make drugs legal so that people would know exactly what they're getting uh, so that you'd have legitimate manufacturers of drugs putting on their drugs labels that tell you everything that's in this. If you get rid of the, the black market, you get rid of all these deaths by fentanyl and all these other uh, impurities that come with uh, the way drugs are made in the black market. The black market is driving. Uh, it's not only driving uh, deaths through fentanyl and other problems, and it's, of course, driving a lot of the problems with immigration. Uh, it's also uh, leading to, I think it actually increases addiction by virtue of the fact that people don't know exactly what they're getting. Uh, when you had proper labeling made by legitimate manufacturers, you'd know what you're getting. You'd be told that this such substance is addictive. You, you, you could even have a whole booklet that would tell you all of the symptoms that might come along with it, side effects, etc. just like they do with pharmaceuticals. Uh, so why wouldn't that be the case for all drugs? And that's where I think I would approach it. I would uh, try to make legitimate manufacturers take up the production of all drugs and the distribution of all drugs. And that, that is uh, legalization or decriminalization, uh, both actually. Uh, and, you know, get rid of drug laws so that you don't have the war on drugs. You don't have people dying uh in these uh, battles inside cartels. You don't have people dying from fentanyl overdoses, etc. Had a very close friend of my family die of a fentanyl overdose when they had no idea that what they were consuming had fentanyl in it. And uh, I think it's a travesty. If, if legitimate production of, of drugs was uh, made available to people, we wouldn't have all, any of these problems. Would you get rid of the prescription process altogether for like all drugs, even yes. ones that we have to have a doctor just eliminate that so I could walk into a pharmacy yes. and get a Xanax and not have to ask for yes, a doctor? Yes, absolutely. Get rid of prescriptions, the, the, um, all of the credentialing that goes along with the state and its control over all substances would be banished, would be eradicated. Um, next one, a little bit more detailed on the criminal justice system. The U.S. incarcerates more people in sheer numbers and per capita than any nation in the world. That includes North Korea. Our police are very militarized. Over 80% of SWAT raids are drug-related. And we've had more than 180 people get exonerated from death row. 
why is the criminal justice system so broken and what would you do specifically to fix that? Well, this is a police state. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of crim you know, criminalization of victimless crime. Uh, that's the first thing I would uh, eliminate. I would, when, when in office, say I got by some miracle of uh, miracles, I was able to win the presidency. I would release all victim, uh, all incarcerated persons who are in prison for victimless crimes. Uh, so <clears throat> this is, a, we've militarized the police, you're right, with military equipment. And also, you know, it's coming down the pike, we're going to have robotic police, ro uh, police do uh, robot dogs and other police, ro ro roboticized police enforcement, which will make it even impossible to appeal to anybody as a human being. And they'll undertake things that are uh, utterly ca uh, careless and uh, callous and uh, completely without feeling. So I would, uh, I would demilitarize the police. First of all, the way to do all this is to make policing strictly local. Uh, get rid of the Fed. That that is the um, uh, the federal police, uh, the FBI, and uh, and get rid of. Uh, all the centralization of the policing, make it local. The more local it is, the better. Eventually, uh, I would want it to be utterly privatized so that the state wasn't involved in this. In this, I, I would want a complete private property society where we're not we're self-governing. Right? When the state is completely out of all governance because it wouldn't exist. Uh, so I think people can be self-governing. And of course, you can have private security firms, private courts, uh, and all of this has been worked out by many thinkers, and particularly Hans Hermann Hoppe, and I follow on that uh, trail. You would support like having privatized prisons? There's no concern. You know how the left is pretty concerned about privatized prisons. I mean, I know yeah. you would shrink prisons and let people out, but those concerns don't bother you that it would, you know, we're paying for beds in prison, so we got to fill them? No, I don't think that's how it would work. Uh, I think uh, you'd have, you know, everything would be privatized. But uh, the first of all, the crime rate would dr drop drastically because the criminality would be reduced in terms of um, the need for people to steal, uh, to commit robbery, uh, and so forth. There always are deviance in any society. So they have to be dealt with. So there has to be some form of punishment system. Uh, first of all, restitution would be number one. Restitution of anything stolen. And then, of course, in, in cases of capital crime, like egregious violations of the non-aggression principle, uh, such as assault and, uh, and murder, those have to be punished. Uh, so uh, there needs to be some sort of a timeout, for lack of a better term, for people to commit these kind of crimes. And I think private doesn't mean that um, that you would have this proliferation. It's only the conjunction of the state with privatized prisons that produces this need uh, to incarcerate more and more people. Okay. Would you keep the death penalty and then let privatized 
companies carried out or would you eliminate the death penalty altogether? I would eliminate it. I don't think the death penalty is humane at all. I'm pro-life all okay. across the board. I'm going to move on to some questions that may get this, some of these clips kicked off, flagged on YouTube. But when it comes to the 2020 election, do you believe it was stolen, either from fake ballots, mules, or rigged voting systems? Yeah, there, there was a lot of ledger domain, for lack of a better term right now, involved. I think there was a lot of uh, uh, interventionism. In fact, uh, there was... I reread this time magazine article in which they made it clear that they conspired to make sure Trump was not put back in or put back in office or kept in office. So, yeah, I think that the election process was definitely sketchy. Um, I think this has been the case, though. Both parties have done this. Both of the major parties have done it. I started a website in 2000. Uh, at the end of the 2000, when I believe George Bush was installed. So they, they install whatever they think is necessary at the time. Whatever the ruling class wants, they make it such that those persons are put in office. And they don't care about popular will. They'll overturn the prop, popular will at a, at a you know, without... What a play my... devil's advocate. If they're going to install who they want, is there any point in voting? Because obviously they're not going to want a libertarian in there to shut down the government, well, shut down agencies. Like, is there even a point in voting if they're just going to install who they want? I think it, my, my position is that what we need to do is make these federal offices really uh, archaic and unnecessary, antiquated and unimportant. So if you have less power vested in the central government, the president wouldn't be so important in, at mm -hmm. all. Uh, so the point is to decentralize everything, decentralize governance as much as possible. This way, it wouldn't matter. The stakes would not be so high for who is the president of the United States. And that's the way it should have been in the first place. That's what the Constitution really uh, was set up to establish sovereign states under a loose federation. I think the federation is, is now totally uh, tight. And that is to say, centralized government has way too much power. It's a behemoth that's hanging over all of us and oppressing the, pop, the whole population. So I would decentralize completely, getting the federal government's reach and penetration and power vastly reduced until it's eliminated. But until that happens... Like, I don't, have, I don't have any trust that they're going to count the votes and do it accurately. I mean, like you've said, they want to install who they want. So how, how do you, I guess, justify getting in the race yourself if they're going to, until you can get in there and get an outsider that can decentralize I'm everything? In the race. What do we do in the meantime? Uh, that's why I'm in the race. I'm in the race to tell okay. the truth about the fact that top-down solutions are not the answer. Yeah, it isn't about okay. who, a white knight riding into D.C. like, RFK Jr. presents himself as, or, or Trump, okay. uh, as this kind of person that's going to go in and dismantle this or that. That's really not going to happen. What we need is, is decentralization. And that's why I'm in the race, to present this argument for decentralization. What is your opinion on RFK? Just kind of on a side shoot here. You said like he presents himself as a white knight. Do you think he's completely phony? I think he's controlled opposition. Okay, the next one's kind of a whopper too. 
Protesters from January 6th have received a combined total of nearly 850 years worth of prison sentences. Individuals like Zach Real, Joe Biggs, Stuart Rhodes, and Enrique Otario received the longest sentences, ranging from 15 to 22 years. These sentences are longer than those given to the four people that received term sentences at the Nuremberg trials. So why should January 6th protesters receive longer sentences than Nazis? And as president, will you commute or pardon all the nonviolent protesters? Absolutely, all of them would be pardoned instantly. This is an outrage. This is political persecution. It has nothing to do with criminality. Uh, this is this is a gulag system that's been established at, at the uh, in our country. What what was the gulag in the Soviet Union? It was it was a place where they put political prisoners, not people that had committed actual crimes, but that deviated from the political. Uh, from the party's orthodoxy in any way. That's what's happened here. And I, I said this on, on Forbes, Forbes Breaking News uh, in an interview there, and I, they gave me all kind of grief over this. But I think most of these people were at most trespassers and if, at the very most, and uh, that these sentences are outrageous. This is an outrage. I, and this is Do not to say that I support Trump or that I think these people were smart in supporting Trump. I just think that this is political persecution that must stop. Okay. Do you think the powers that be are going to try to set up another January 6th before the election as a way to keep Trump out? I know you don't necessarily love Trump, but do you think they'll do another one just to try to set up his supporters for, you know? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if any kind of false flag they might pull. Uh, in order to keep power. This uh, is a totalitarian uh, state right now under the particular, you know, it's a uniparty, but the Democrats are the main leaders of this uniparty. That's who the ruling class wants in there. And they don't want to share power uh, with any outsiders. I'm not saying Trump's a legitimate outsider, but they don't want they're not afraid of Trump as much as they are his followers and what the followers might do. And uh, I think that's what they're cracking down on most. Of course, they're going after him as a kind of example to them. Look what we can do to you if you uh, oppose us. That's effectively what they're doing. Do you think Trump is controlled opposition as much as RFK Jr. is? Do you think there's a little bit of truth in Trump, or do you think he's all just a horse and pony show? If he is, he doesn't know it, whereas I think RFK knows it. Move on to international conflicts. Is funding Ukraine or Israel, Israel in their wars in America's national security interest? And as a little caveat to that, do you think that Israel is committing a genocide? Yes. Let's start with the second question. Yes, they are. Okay. They're committing genocide, egregious violations of the non-aggression principle, using U.S. money and arms. It's an outrage. I would end all funding of Israel immediately, all military aid, all arms, period. And the same goes for Ukraine. Uh, I would end all military funding and arms to Ukraine immediately. Um, so... Yeah, all, all aid to these foreign countries, and it's not in our national security interest at all. This is, this is all about uh, doing, it in the case of Israel, doing their bidding, do, acting at their behest uh, to execute their geopolitical objectives in the region.
we talk about Israel as our greatest ally in the Middle East. To what end exactly is that the case? Since it's created all of these, all this enmity with other countries and uh, non-state actors as well, so that we're bo- we're we're bogged down in these battles and wars with uh, various nation states, and we're on the brink of even heading into a war with Iran and. This could even involve Russia uh, and China, possibly. So this is just an outrage. Um, I would end all that funding. We have no interest in uh, Israel's wars at all, Uh, Israel's uh, geopolitical objectives, whatever they might be. I mean, in some sense, you might say that uh, the object is a kind of globalism headquartered in Israel. Uh, And... uh, I have no interest in that, and I would want it to be stopped. Okay. How do you convince a lot of Christian conservatives who just seems like they'll support Israel no matter what they do, and they can't seem to flesh out this as a genocide? How do you get through to that type of wall to people that this is a bad idea? Because they're also pro-life, but they don't seem to care. (laughs) Yeah, I've been fighting with these Christian Zionists uh, since this this last episode, this uh, recent uh, onslaught uh, by Israel on Gaza has uh, unfolded, and uh, they seem to be under a psyop, uh, a, a, a Zionist psyop, op, you know, campaign uh, based on a false eschatology uh, and a false understanding from a Christian perspective, even of what the state of Israel represents. The state of Israel is not Israel from the Bible at all. The state of Israel is not, and the people in Israel are not the chosen people that were supposed to be, you know, uh, you know, look, from a Christian perspective, anybody can be saved, but there's no salvation or any kind of special, any kind of special dispensation for people based on ethnicity uh, or even a religious adherence uh, to Judaism. That has nothing to do with Christianity at all. Christianity is a second covenant. It overturns the first covenant with the Jewish people. And it is based on belief in Christ as the Savior. And Jesus Christ, if you look at the Gospels very closely, uh, at least the last third of all the Gospels are about Jesus being hunted effectively by the you know, the uh, Jewish uh, religious leadership. They wanted to kill him. They wanted him dead. So I try to get this through to these people. You know, Israel is not the Israel of the Gospels. It's not the Israel of the Old Testament. There's no thing, it has nothing to do with this state of Israel as it stands right now. And, uh, you know, the eschatology that they're looking to to execute, like establishing the third temple on the uh, on the uh, Temple Mount, uh, we're now actually one of the holiest uh, or most revered uh, Islamic uh, mosque stands. is not is not the is not the Christian uh, is not the Christian eschatology that Jesus Christ preached. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. It makes sense. Yeah. It's a 
it's a controversial opinion there <laughs> that they're not the chosen people. Um, well, there was a covenant made with with the uh, Israelites, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it wasn't the last covenant that was made. The last covenant was made through Jesus Christ, and that's the covenant that holds. And there's no special dispensation for any tribes. Uh, you know, God is no respecter of persons. That's in the Bible. How do you get Christians to grasp that? I grew up going to Baptist churches, and they are so locked into Jews are the chosen people, and whatever they do, we have to support them regardless. How do you break through that? Or do you think it maybe can't be? Well, it all started with the it all started with the Schofield Bible, and the way that the preachers have been indoctrinated into the Schofield Bible belief system, which was a Jew, which was a Zionist psyop from the start. Um, this was uh, created by the Zionists, and they then got uh, this rolled out into the Christian evangelical particularly uh, movement you know i may be talking a little out of school because i'm not a theologian but uh nevertheless it's very it's very easy to to track this down uh that the schofield bible is not it's it's a it's a heresy uh and uh that uh, i'm trying to break through a lot of these people as you know basically all the time. I've been arguing this for months and uh, even with family members, frankly. Have uh, you ever won anybody over to your side? They, they kind of, they kind of go way flummoxed. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and they, they, they don't necessarily, uh, or they'll call you an, not, not my family members, but other people will call you an anti-Semite. Uh, for things that, you know, now that anti-Semitism has been equated with anti-Zionism uh, in the official, in, a, in an official uh, congressional hearing and a congressional resolution, uh, it's just ridiculous. Uh, so there's, there's no connection between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism necessarily at all. Um, so I try to get that across too, that Zionism was a rather modern project. It, it was mostly secular and communist to begin with. Uh, and it didn't have any biblical sanction at all. Do you think if the Jewish lobby stopped funding candidates, the politicians would change their opinion on this issue overnight? Or do you think Not overnight. they just kind of brainwashed too on Zionism? It takes a while to deprogram people. They have to be debriefed, deprogrammed out of this cult that they're in. Um, next question. We'll move on from that. Kind of take a macro view of foreign affairs. So we currently have around 750 bases in more than 80 countries, a military budget this year of more than $1.5 And Obama, he launched more than 1,800 drone attacks during his tenure. Trump went way past that just within the first couple of years, and that's killed hundreds of civilians. Biden is, he's doing less drone strikes, but he's got us in two international conflicts. Yes. Would you sustain, shrink, or swell our military footprint around the world? I think I know your answer, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I would withdraw our troops from all of these bases, and I think it could be as many as 900, actually. Uh, there's okay. many secret bases as well. 
as the ones that we know about. I would withdraw all the troops. Uh, the military budget would be shrunken dramatically. Uh, the only function for the military would be defensive, and uh, that would be necessary to uh, reduce the footprint uh, of the U.S. throughout the world, which only gets us into entanglements and wars that has no benefit for the actual American public at all. It only benefits the ruling class and their military-industrial uh, beneficiaries, it has no benefit for us. Parental rights. Does the government or the parents have the ultimate control over a child? And if it is the parents, isn't banning gender-affirming surgeries a violation of parental rights? No. I think the, the more primary right is uh, the right of the child to, uh, to be protected from, the, from aggression, uh, the non-aggression principle. But I don't think a child can consent, uh, for example, to transgender surgery or even uh, gender so-called affirming drugs. Uh, I don't think that uh, children can make that determination. They, they, the right, they are not capable of consent. Likewise, I think that even parents don't have a right to, to allow a gender affirming care, so-called, uh, for anyone under 18 years old. At 18, then it's up to the, to the uh, person themselves. They have the ability to, to uh, give consent to anything like surgery or gender-affirming drugs, uh, pu you know, puberty blockers or uh, conversion um, drugs, uh, but not, not before then. Next question is about disaster management. In the last year, we had two major disasters, the Maui fire and then East Palestine train derailment. Both of them have caused some people to feel like there's distress in the government. Maybe something more was going on. Do you think there was anything nefarious going on with those incidents? And what would be a libertarian president's disaster response to those type of incidents? Yeah, that's great. Um... Wow, you really put it out there. Uh, I do. <laughs> I go right for it. <laughs> uh, isn't it interesting that the derailment happened in East Palestine? I, I, I'm sorry, that just strikes me as too weird. Um, and I got to be honest, that, that means, that says something to me. There's some sort of weird resonance there. Uh, so I think that the, uh, the Palestine, East Palestine train derailment was very sketchy. I don't know what's going on there, uh, but the the treatment of the people in East Palestine and uh, and in Hawaii uh, with that particular uh, disaster has been ter terrible. Uh, the federal government has been utterly useless, if not worse, especially in the Hawaiian case where they. Uh, they won't even let people take back their property and build on it. What's going on there? And how did these people's homes burn while other edifices did not? Uh, come on. I mean, something very awry, okay? Uh, so the Juana uh, crisis or catastrophe is sketchy. I, I want to know what the federal government's up to. And, uh, and I would like to be able to uh, uncover 
you know, I am a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> and, and I make no bones about that. So I like looking into these conspiracies, but I didn't go down too far into the rabbit hole on these two. When I say I'm a conspiracy theorist, I think conspiracies do happen and that the label of conspiracy theory is a way of deflecting from the wickedness that uh, that the government undertakes in many cases. In fact, the very phrase was was mobilized by the CIA in the first place in conjunction with JFK assass- the JFK assassination. Although I've, I've dug into evidence that it goes back further uh, to Karl Popper in his book, um, The Open, Open Society and Its Enemies, where he started to poo-poo this idea of the conspiracy theory of society. And then I found out that Popper apparently had some shall we say, uh, connections to the CIA. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I think that there's there are conspiracies. They do happen. And those two cases uh, are very suspicious. How would you have handled him as president? Like it happened, let's say there was no conspiracy. You got a train wreck. You got the line of fires. What would you have done yeah. differently? Than first, of all, you, you, first of all, uh, in the case of the train derailment, the companies that were responsible should have had their asses sued off and uh, then investigated for uh, the malfeasance they might have been engaged in. And uh, so I would uh, treat it from a, 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 a legal standpoint in terms of mass cl- a class action suit against those companies. And uh, furthermore, the... Uh, uh, the treatment by the federal government was just outrageous. They, they did nothing. So, like I said, with decentralization and uh, and so forth, you would have much more power at the local level to address these issues. And the people would be able to address them through their local government. The federal government would not be needed so much, and, and it, it wouldn't be able to cover up uh, whatever happened either in both cases. Okay. Okay. Before we jump off of conspiracy theories, do you think Alex Jones is controlled opposition? Cause I've thought that for a while that he's not really authentic anymore. I think he used to be, he's kind of the leader of all the tinfoil hat wearers. I was just wondering, do you think that he is controlled? He's mostly entertainment. It's an entertainment function that he serves. Uh, I don't think that if, if anything, he kind of diffuses the tension and the pressure. He's kind of like a uh, he's kind of like a, a valve, a, you know, a pressure valve that you know lets off steam and effectively does nothing with reference to anything. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Pretty useless then, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he even addresses the question about whether he's a Zionist shill. And uh, I'm not going to go that far as to say he's a Zionist shill, but I, I think he's an entertainment. He's an entertainer. And his function is to, as a, as, as a what's that valve called? A uh, release valve, you know, a pressure release valve. And uh, kind of a deflector away from uh, really uh, investigating and getting to the bottom of things. Okay, so I mean, there's things that he says that are true. You cannot, 
you you cannot go far if you don't mix some truth in with what you're talking about. The Great Reset is real, for example. They do want to depopulate the planet. There's there's no question about that. Uh, And, you know, uh, all of those things that he, you know, a lot of those things that he talks about are correct. But uh, what's the function that he serves with reference to them? That's the question. Okay, so just a wild man that kind of got lucky and gets to enter, not control, just entertains. Well, forget, for, put it this way. In my book, The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty, I have a set of steps that we can take to thwart it. What are his steps to thwart it? Where does he ever recommend doing anything about it? How? how no. What does he say to, to stop it? I have a plan to stop it. Okay, I want to ask you about EMPs, electromagnetic pulse attack. If one happened... Mm-hmm. I hope you've asked all the candidates these questions. Oh, I am. It's the same 24. I'm going to get more interviews with other candidates. Oh, yeah. No, it's not just you. (laughs) I'm going to go after everybody. When it comes to an EMP, estimates say that about 90% of the population would probably die in about a year. Do you think that we're getting closer to having an EMP attack because we're getting involved in these other, like Russia, Israel, Ukraine, and what would you do to put America back together if we had one without invoking martial law? I have to say that I am not conversant okay. enough to talk on this. I just don't know enough. And I'm not going to. That works. I'll yeah, say I don't an answer know. If you don't know. Okay. Next one should be pretty straightforward about pardons. On day one, would you pardon Julian Assange, Ross Albright, Edward Snowden, and Donald Trump? That is if Trump is ever found guilty. Yes, all all four. Yep, including Trump. I have no animus towards Trump like some of the other libertarian candidates. He didn't commit any crimes, in my opinion, and uh, also all his civil cases are bullshit, too. In fact, they're property rights infringements. Yeah. What is the deep state? Does it exist? Who is it? How would you eliminate it? I know your slogans wreck the regime. Right. The The... The deep state is a shadow government that has its own objectives and that is not just the bureaucracy, but it's the intelligence community. And uh, it has uh, objectives that lie outside of anything close to the democratic process. Uh, These are not democratically elected people. I think they have an agenda. Uh, It's, you know, one of the challenges to find out what it is. Uh, And they execute plans completely, a lot of times completely, uh, plans that are completely unknown uh, to the so-called electorate. And uh, they are both below and above the, the state that's that exists above the democratic process and below it that they operate clandestinely and uh, they have an enormous uh, power um, that's the re- that's part of the regime that has to be wrecked do you think it's mostly contained in the cia do you think that's like the nucleus of it or do you think it's the cia in connection with other intelligence agencies okay you know, the CIA, uh, uh, the Five Eyes, 
of course, that's Britain, Australia. Uh, uh, who else is in the Five Eyes? Uh, uh, Israel is definitely involved. Mossad and other uh, agencies. So I think their center of operation is probably the city of London. That's their that's their financial hub. Okay. I'm not going too much further. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You're gonna have me uh, ruin me. Here. <laughs> hey, that's what. It, hey, why not ruin her career? Right? That's what women do. We ruin things. Abortion. <laughs> when does abortion? life? Yeah. When does life yeah. begin? And if it starts in the womb, do you support a national abortion ban? Uh, I think abortion is a gross egregious violation of the NAP, the, na- uh, the non-aggression principle. I think uh, every, you know, every human person, regardless of their size, uh, stage of development or level of dependency on another person is a human being and they have ownership of themselves that can't be, should not be violated. That being said, I would not propose some sort of state action to stop it and put, putting criminalizing it and putting women in, in prison or jail uh, over it. I think it needs to be treated from a spiritual standpoint. Um, it has to be treated with a crusade uh, of, of awareness. And, uh, and I think it's very important to point out where this all comes from. Uh, the history of abortion uh, and the movement uh, of depopulation or neo-Malthusian population control. If you point this to people, if you show people, who are these people that want you to abort your kids? Who are these people and what is their agenda? This goes a long way of disabusing people of the idea that it's my right. It is they're, they're actually getting you to kill your offspring. That is very serious. That mm-hmm. getting you to kill your own offspring—that's what's happening. And this comes from. Uh, this is a part of the agenda. The global agenda is to reduce the population, control the population, and uh, I, I've shown in my book, *The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty*, this neo-Malthusian population control and reduction plan. And if people could be could see this plan and to know that the earliest proponents of abortion were eugenicists, like Margaret Sanger, that she was an eugenicist who who wanted to get rid of black people's babies largely. Uh, if you could show them this, then maybe they'll wake up to this agenda and they'll want, will not want to participate in it. They think they're being empowered, but they're actually being utterly disempowered. Whenever you take away somebody's ability to reproduce, you have controlled them to an extent that's un- hitherto unimaginable, really. So you would have, would you have preferred to have left Roe v. Wade kind of in place? Do you think that was a mistake of the court? No, 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 no. I think it, it's, a, it's a good thing that it went to the states. Uh, and uh, that's a good step. Uh but I think it's got to go further. It's got to go further down into the individual consciousness. Okay. Do you think Alabama went too far with the recent frozen embryo debacle, saying that it's a child? Do you think they took it too far? 
like taking their state's right to get involved? Well, that makes it look absurd. Uh, that That's the problem. Um, I would say a frozen embryo uh, situation is not a viable human yet because they're not in the womb. They're not in a developmental stage. So I think that is absurd. So I think they do things like this in order to make the whole issue look absurd. And that's the problem. Uh, I know people that have that are doing uh, in vitro fertilization that have frozen embryos. And I don't think discarding a, a frozen embryo is the equivalent of murder. Uh, I think that when you take a, a viable, uh, a viable individual in the womb and extricate them with, without taking into consideration their personhood, that I think is, is when you've crossed the line. Next one, you've kind of already answered it, kicked it around. Is the government too big? I know you've talked about decentralization. <laughs> so, like, maybe specifically, how would you shrink it? Could you give me the five agencies you would get rid of right off the top of your head? Right off the top, it would be the CIA, the FBI, the uh, NSA, the Department of Education, the uh, CDC. Uh, is that five? I think that's five. When it comes to the border, do you think there's a crisis? And if you do, how would you secure it? And what would you do with those people that have already come to the country illegally? There's a crisis. Uh, it has to do with this. Uh, first of all, let's talk about some of the precursors that go into this crisis. U.S. interventionism in other countries, political and military, have created uh, this crisis largely. So we have all these people that have their homelands have been ruined. Their, their uh, economic viability has been uh, undercut. And likewise, they want to flee those areas. That's our, pro that's our, that's our doing. Second of all, uh, the drug war has created a lot of this. Uh, the underground black market of drugs has created this, uh, this, this, a lot of the problems that we see in terms of immigration, uh, smuggling of people and smuggling of drugs, using people as kind of like a, what do they call them? The, uh, what do you call a drug a, smuggler? Like a they? drug mule? A mule. Mule? Yes. Using people as mules. That's another part of it, which would be handled with the, uh, with the drug with getting rid of the uh, making drugs a black market by making them, uh, un, you know, legalizing them. Uh, and uh, then the third thing, which is not as popular to talk about amongst libertarians, is the incentivizing of immigration by with social welfare payments. So they're they're actually baiting people into it using social welfare telling people and they get these messages all over the world in Central America and elsewhere that once you get into the country, you're going to get a check or you're going to get a credit card or you're going to get a payment. And uh, these people are like, well, that's great. I get to go to the United States with a, a credit card balance and, uh, and so forth. So they're baiting these people in. That's a big problem. I would end all that immediately. So social welfare, and then uh, 
So my, my plan to, to deal with it is I think immigration ought to be undertaken on an invitation basis in which uh, individuals, companies, whatever, they invite people in and they assume li liability, financial liability for them. So people would be invited. That's how it should be done. I want to talk to you a little bit about crime. The left tries to say that, oh, the crime is really not that bad. It's not really happening. They deny it. The right goes completely insane on Fox News. Sometimes I feel like they're just making stuff up to be sensational. Yeah. I know in my little tiny town here in Ohio, we're even starting to get warnings at like the Sheets gas station pump on the handle. And like when you pump to tell you to lock your stuff up because it's so dangerous. So something's going on. How big of a crime issue how big of a problem is it? Like, which way do you swing? And how would you fix that as president without having a police state? Yeah, that's a good question. So here's a phrase that's used that was coined to describe what's happening. And it's not popular amongst libertarians because it didn't come from libertarian circles. It came from a guy named Sam Francis, who was a neo or paleo conservative, really. Uh, he called it anarcho-tyranny. So what it is, is what they're doing is letting criminality run rampant while harassing, taxing, and uh, otherwise uh, uh, controlling the other, you know, what we'd call law-abiding people and allowing criminals to terrorize those people as part of a state project to keep the population in line to keep them frightened to keep them under control and to create some level of chaos that the state will then come in and remediate through military type invention uh, interventions so yeah there's a problem it's serious and i think it's purposeful it's actually being uh, curated really for lack of a better term by the get by the state itself uh the way i would treat it is by allowing people to be armed uh without having to be concealed carry or whatever allowing people to be armed and to allow them the other element about anarcho tyranny is, uh, tyranny is that they don't allow the people to defend themselves or their property they go to jail for this so they prohibit you from self-defense uh, you could see this in many cases where people that try to defend themselves, they end up in jail. Uh, and uh, and the criminals run free. Uh, the, the ones that initiated force, the ones that initiated violence, either against persons or property, are let out of jail almost instantly. While those who try to defend themselves and their property, and sometimes other people, as in the case of the New York uh, subway, guy that tried to uh, rest this man to the ground and hold him in a headlock to keep him from from violence against others he's going to you know he's going to face a real trial that was not dismissed so here we have uh criminality allowed to run rampant self-defense made a prohibiting self-defense of property and person and and so forth so i would say localize all uh, protection, allow people to bear arms without any sanctions against it, 
uh, to protect their rights, and any egregious violations of the non-aggression principle are punished. Get a gun, basically, right? <laughs> That's the solution. Yes, you should be armed. Okay. I take it you probably don't like the NRA that much because they're not really. No, they're weak sauce, weak. you know. Okay. I want to ask you about homelessness because it's become a massive problem. Kind of started in the big cities, but I'm starting to see it. And not the big cities. I don't live too far from Pittsburgh. It's there over Christmas and their encampments were right there as soon as you drive into downtown. And they just like cleared them out for the tree lighting ceremony at the city. Kind of made a big deal about it. And then they were already back. How do you solve homelessness? Did you say Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh. Did yeah, I'm just a couple Pittsburgh? hours from it. Yeah, I'm up there every few months or so. Yeah. I live in Pittsburgh. That's where I am right now. I thought now. you were in, in from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. They yeah. had that big record shop yeah. up there. I go to you. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, homelessness is something that is being created uh, by virtue of the fact that it's being uh, rewarded and uh, uh, money. You know, basically every time the state tries to remediate something, it increases it. So that's really what's going on. And uh, so you have to stop that. And then in terms of people being homeless, allow charity to handle those issues. Allow charity to handle it. Uh, and I don't mean these necessarily these charitable organizations that exist to pilfer money for the bureaucrats who run them, uh, but direct individual charity, but no state, no social welfare for that's, that's creating the problem that is supposedly being addressed. The more money you throw at it, the worse it gets. We see this in San Francisco with drugs and homelessness. The more money you throw at it from the state, the worse it gets. Do you really think it can be cleaned up just through people's charitable giving? I'm not so sure I think people are that charitable. Well, once, they're, once they cease being robbed by the government, they'll have a lot more money, right? I mean, yeah. the problem is people, X amount of money is robbed from people all the time. If you get rid of that, then there's more money to take care of people. So candidates always promise a lot of stuff in their campaign. Trump promised to repeal and replace Obamacare. Obama promised to close Guantanamo Bay. Biden promised to stop building the wall, but the wall continues to get built. Guantanamo Bay is open and Obamacare is still essentially the law of the land. Why should anyone mm -hmm. listening to this podcast and hearing your ideas believe that you will follow through on any of them? Because I'm not, I'm not running a campaign about what I will do. <laughs> this isn't about me riding into D.C. and undertaking all these things and saying that I will execute X, Y, Z. This is about me trying to lead a movement, not a campaign, but a movement of decentralization and get that message out and to get people to take take charge of their local governments and then to nullify central governments, the central government's mandates and laws, uh, the unconstitutional ones, and to get to self-governance. That's the key. So I'm not about top-down solutions. I'm about bottom-up solutions. So I'm not making any promises, really. Okay. Well, we can't break if you don't make them, right? Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it I have. Do you have like any closing remark you want to say to voters or people listening or tell people how they can support your campaign if they like what you said? Yes. Uh, look into my website, uh, recklerregime.com. 
get into the decentralized revolution movement uh, started by the Mises Caucus of the Libertarian Party. Uh, that is the charge that I'm leading, and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, and uh, this is the way to deal with the crises that we have, we face, is decentralization. The globalists want to centralize everything. The only way to resist them is through decentralization. So the state is trying to execute a globalist agenda. Uh, so the only possible resistance to that is decentralization. Now that you know where we've been, find out where we're going. Tune in to Ladies Love Politics, where you can stay informed without going insane.